Hey, it's Amber and welcome to season three of Politics But Make It Fashion. Come chat with me. Trigger warning, this episode contains discussions on suicide. If you are experiencing any mental health issues, please dial 988. Hello, everyone, and happy Tuesday. Um, Special episode brought to you by my birthday was this weekend. And so, yeah, I did not get to record on Sunday. So for those of you who do not know, my name is Amber Viola. I am the host of Politics But Make It Fashion and also the host of My Culty College. My birthday was on Sunday and I turned 38 years old. Thank you. Thank you. Round of applause. I also feel very congested. If you live in NEPA, it is currently 22 degrees right now. And the weather just going back and forth is wreaking havoc on my nose. Okay. So between these PA allergies and then between it being 50 degrees one day and the next day being 19 y'all they trying to kill me out here so i want to share some thoughts on my birthday and this past year um i had a really terrible year this past year um it started off with surgery right in january and then proceeded to go downhill the whole time but in the midst of all of that, there were some really amazing things that also happened. And when I talked about keeping an I love you binder or I love you document in your notes, that's one of the reasons why it's important is because when things are really, really crappy, you're able to go back and look and see the things that you actually accomplished. You know, I graduated with my master's this year But because so many things started happening around me, you know, I kind of forgot that. So when I was thinking about my birthday and how my year was, I was like, you know, I've really accomplished some amazing things besides all of the adversity. And so that's kind of what I want you guys to take away from that, you know, and being 38, it feels kind of like a little bit of a weird age. I'm not going to lie. I have thoroughly enjoyed my 30s because there came a level of confidence, maturity, um, and self-assurance that you don't have when you are younger. So I am looking forward to getting older and being better, but also it's important for me, myself, to not compare myself to other people and to not set unrealistic expectations of myself. I laughed today because I thought about how when I was younger, I thought when I turned 25, I was going to be married and have a kid and, you know, have a house with a white picket fence and be driving to soccer practice in a Denali. Okay. That was, that was the vibe. That was the dream. And so 
when it didn't happen on that timetable, I was hurt. And I realized that so many things that have kind of like crushed me about getting older were because I had these unrealistic expectations and timetables on myself. And so when I didn't live up to those ridiculous standards, you know, I would feel some type of way. But whose standard are those anyway? And why did I need to follow them? Everybody has their own path and their own journey. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who was talking about going back to school and he was like, but I'm so old. And I was like, yes, but in four years, you're going to still be the same age, whether you go to college or you don't go to college, you're still going to age, you know, so just do it. And when you tell somebody that you, I'm using college as an example, it can be anything. But when you tell somebody, if they ask you, oh, did you go to college? Like, what's your degree in? Nobody's asking you what age you graduated it. You know, nobody's asking you when really you went to school unless they're trying to figure out, you know, if you guys went to school together. But, you know, for me, getting my first degree when I was about 35 um, and now being able to have my second, you know, I look back and it happened so fast and I'm the age now, I'm 38, whether I would have went back to school and got my degrees or not, you know. Um, Another thing I think is when I remember when I was kind of in my late 20s, not quite 30 yet, and I was really dealing with like fashion and what to wear and how do I look like I'm in my 30s and how do I look like a real adult, you know, Um, and now I don't feel that way at all. I will continue to wear my chucks that are very dirty and have holes in them now and I need new ones. I will continue to wear skinny jeans, you know, I will continue to wear t-shirts and harnesses and the same things that I have always worn i'm just now 38 wearing it you know and there's nothing i think that is appropriate for a certain age i think there's things that are appropriate for where you're going so you know if you're going to the club wear club attire if you're going to the office wear something that's more professional it doesn't have to be professional for you know some other 38 year old person but your version of professional, but something that would be congruent to wear in an office. You know, um, you can have your own style and flair. We don't have to do the things that our parents did. And so that's pretty nice. Um, Today is, well, yesterday was MLK Day. And this year, um, one of the things that I really focused on was Um, Martin Luther King suffered from some mental health issues. He tried to commit suicide twice before he was 13 years old. And he also battled severe bouts of depression when he was older while he was doing all his big moves. You know, while he gave the I dream of uh, I have a dream speech, um, you know, writing letters from Birmingham, you know, marching in Selma in that suit and just he had to be so hot and he did all those things while dealing with mental health issues um 
and he didn't feel comfortable talking about it or telling anybody the people around him knew but it was a closely guarded secret because he felt like he wouldn't be able to be taken seriously perform his job the way he would if he was not seen in that light you know and that was a long time ago um but the stigma is still there and our little black boys have a very high suicide rate and mental health in the black community is still a little bit more taboo than it is as a whole in our country and there's still you know pray the depression away you know read your bible go to church those are still barriers and also barriers with trusting the medical community due to the way black americans have been treated by the medical community so but learning about that and reading about that really just gave me so much hope and it kind of gave me joy as well because i was like you know what if this man can really have depression as well and still do all of these amazing things and still leave his mark on history then we all can and it's not going to look the same for everyone and there might need to be moments where you have to take breaks or you know you have to do things to ensure that you are keeping up with your mental health and and taking care of yourself but that it is possible and that's something that i really wanted to share today because or because yesterday i had the opportunity to go on um, pa live which is a local um, wyou show here in nepa and i was able to talk about martin luther king and mental health issues along with talking about my book 72 hours of hell my time in the va and some tips on kind of like how to have healthy mental health even when you're going through something how to take care of yourself better um, so that's super cool i'm definitely going to link the video to that segment in the show notes and i also was able to be on wvia yesterday evening and i was on a black business panel for their keystone edition and it was all about being a black business owner you know how i started my business my business being the podcast and also i do some consulting as well and the process of like applying for grants and writing a business plan and letting people know all the resources and things that are out there and available we also discussed the barriers for black business owners because there's separate barriers than you know from other business owners the same well same way as female business owners will have separate issues and barriers that they are facing that male business owners aren't facing so i will also put that in the show notes to the link to the wvia segment as well um there are two navy seals who are missing after a mission to confiscate iranian missile parts so their mission took place at night and they were trying to take over a vessel carrying components for a medium range Iranian ballistic missile that was headed for Somalia. This is according to a US defense official. 
one sailor fell into the rough nighttime waters and the second sailor jumped in after him. Both then disappeared into the darkness. Um, It's the fourth to fifth day since the sailors went overboard. Um, Search and rescue efforts as of right now are still continuing by air and by sea over the waters due to the fact that the water is warm. So they have a higher chance of survival um, because of the water temperature. You know, when I was in the Navy, one of the things that really contributed to my PTSD was looking for a sailor who had gone overboard and just how that affected me um, and how kind of devastating that was and, you know, finding her body and we have caskets aboard aircraft carriers. So putting her body in the casket and me looking at the empty space where the casket was every day was daunting. And also, you know, we kept the body in a freezer, which was on our mess decks, which is our like cafeteria and stuff. So there was just a lot that came with it. So I really hope that they find these sailors and they're together and they're, they're still alive. And also that everyone who's out looking for them make sure that they're also taking care of themselves and and hopefully they'll be able to you know talk to a mental health professional on board the ship as well so some updates for the israel hamas war um the gaza death toll tops twenty four thousand. um u.n agencies are calling for more aid because it is now becoming a large humanitarian crisis. The Israel's war in Gaza has brought famine at such an incredible speed, according to the UN. The great majority, 400,000 Gazans, are deemed at risk for starvation, malnutrition, and also for diseases. Um, Israel has accused Hamas of carrying out psychological torment, after Hamas released a series of videos featuring hostages in Gaza. The last video that they released appears to show that they killed two captives. I'm not sure if that has been proven or not, um, but that's kind of what they're saying was in was in those videos. Um, there was an attack by vehicles ramming into the one of the Israeli cities, and that killed one person and injured around 17 people. So while all this is happening, we also have the Hothi who are in Yemen. They struck a U.S. cargo ship using an anti-ballistic missile. So this is according to our Central Command information. Iran claimed it destroyed an Israeli spy um with strikes and it now is turning into a big uh shit show so we have been in yemen for a while if you remember when obama was president some called him the drone commander in chief because he was really big on drone strikes and a lot of those things took place in yemen So 
the Houthi movement is one side of the Yemen civil war. So for some of you who don't know, Islam has different sects the same way that Christianity does. You know, in Christianity, you have Baptist, non-denominational, Protestant. And in the Muslim religion, there are the Sunni and there are the Shia. And they have been having disagreements with each other for many, many years. So Yemen's civil war began in 2014. And it the conflict spiraled into an all-out war in 2015 when Saudi Arabia got involved in it. So in 2022, if you remember, there was a ceasefire that was signed and negotiated between all parties involved in this war, but it only lasted about six months. So the problem is they are now saying that they will continue to attack any types of ships or anything that is in the Red Sea. So Yemen's Iran-backed Houthi rebels are stepping up their strikes on ships in the Red Sea, which say are revenge campaign against Israel for its military campaign in Gaza. In a lot of escalation, the U.S. and the U.K. have launched strikes against multiple Houthi targets in Yemen. This is after the Biden administration and our allies warned the group that they would bear the consequences of future attacks. And they are saying that they're going to attack any ships that come into the Red Sea because the Houthi attacks have forced some of the biggest shipping and oil companies in the world to suspend their transit through one of the biggest transit routes. So it's affecting people's money. So that is why we are getting involved. And the concern a lot of people had, myself included, was the fact that the longer this conflict goes on between Israel and Hamas and the more people that get involved, it could spiral into a full world war, which nobody wants, except for the people who make money off of war. Trump won the Iowa caucus. So for those of you out there who are like, what's a caucus? What does that mean? And why is that important? So states can hold either a primary or a caucus. Pennsylvania holds primaries. Um, A caucus is more of a political meeting opposed to a primary, which you go to the ballot box and it's an election. So a caucus, a representative from each campaign is allowed to give a short speech in support of its candidate. Then ballots are handled, handed out to all the caucus goers who vote by secret ballot. The ballots are then collected, counted in open view of the caucus, and a campaign representative is allowed to view the counting, but members of the press aren't. After all the results are tally, uh, tallied, They're recorded on a form by the caucus secretary and announced by the precinct chair, then submitted electronically to the Iowa Republican Party. So that is exactly what a caucus is. 
So once you're coming towards the election and you're coming towards like the official Republican nominee and the Democratic nominee, this is when all of these previous caucuses and elections will matter. So Republicans who are eligible to vote on election day and who are 18 years old may participate in the caucuses. A Democrat or an independent may also register as a Republican on caucus night to participate. So one of the issues with caucuses and with some primary elections when you have um, closed primaries is that you're only allowed to select candidates from your own party. So for myself, being a registered Democrat here in Pennsylvania, we have closed primaries. So if there is a primary where I want to vote for someone who is not a Democrat, I need to change my voter registration to Republican, vote in the primary, and then change my voter registration back so that I can vote Democrat in the election. It is a complicated process. And I know I do it. And I know a few other people who love politics who do it but y'all this is not something that everyday people are doing or really have time to do and when you have something called an open primary that means you can vote for whoever you want to vote for and you're able to do that across the board which i think is better and healthier for our country because then it allows you to actually be able to vote kind of for who you want to vote for you know, um, and make it easier. So there's more people who have dropped out of the Republican presidential race. Um, Of course, we had Pence, we had Christie, and then Ramaswamy dropped out today um, after the Iowa caucus. One thing I did like about Ramaswamy was he's 38 years old, he's young, He was energetic and he was a minority. And I think he represented the whole of America better um, just by being younger and being a millennial and being more in touch with the everyday things that are going on. And he wasn't able to kind of get a lot of momentum for his campaign. Um, Most of the votes all went to Trump. Um, DeSantis and Haley, I believe, came in second in the Iowa caucus. So we'll, we'll continue to see how it goes. So we had talked about the shoplifting and how we are seeing all those videos about people stealing things and everything. And kind of, there was this huge fear that there was like an epidemic of shoplifting happening with these gangs of teenagers coming into a store grabbing things and due to that stores have closed and said they've closed stores in certain locations because of the theft well there has been evidence that fears of a major shoplifting wave were overblown in 2021 walgreen closed five stores in san francisco citing a rise in organized shoplifting When the San Francisco Chronicle analyzed police data, the newspaper found that there was little evidence to actually back up Walgreens claims. It turns out that shoplifting isn't spiraling out of control. But this whole 
image that it's spiraling out of control has allowed lawmakers to push for tougher tougher penalties for low-level and non-violent crimes. Shoplifting is a non-violent crime. It is a low-level crime. So now they're pushing for, you know, tougher sentences, mandatory minimums and things like that, which hurt people. There's very little data showing that there is a nationwide problem. What America seems to be experiencing is less of a shoplifting wave and more of a moral panic. A lobbying group for retailers published a report that claimed nearly half of its inventory was lost in 2021, which amounted to $94 billion. And that loss was because of organized retail crimes. But that wasn't true at all. The five stores that Walgreens closed had fewer than two recording shoplifting incidences a month on average since 2018. So one of the things that they are saying is pushing this is that obviously things were shut down and closed during COVID. So now there is shoplifting happening again, but it's still at lower levels than it was before COVID. And maybe some people are just surprised by it or shocked or feel like it's happening more than it was because everything was closed. So there was no shoplifting happening um, over that time. So I'm sure a lot of you have heard about the Harvard president, the first black female president resigned um, over claims of plagiarism, but the actual push behind it was due to her response during a hearing about Israel and about punishing people who um, made calls for genocide. So what people wanted her to answer the question was, yes, we will expel anybody who calls for any type of anything. Um, And she had answered along with the same answer that all the other presidents gave as well, is that it would really depend on the circumstances and they don't want to just make a blanket statement or a blanket policy because of every circumstance might be different. And what I mean by that is when you hear the saying uh, from the river to the sea, the Palestinians saying, right? For Palestinians, it's a saying that invokes free Palestine and the movement of Palestinians being able to have access to their shores and their ocean and have their own land. But there are people who feel like from the river to the sea is a call for genocide. So when there's people who are holding signs or chanting from the river to the sea, people are saying that that is a call for genocide. So in a situation like that, would that person be expelled from school and arrested and maybe facing criminal charges? No, because that is based on interpretation and that is not the same thing. So 
that's some background around it. So there was particularly one person who was really pushing for her resignation. And he is the one who brought up the, um, the charge of plagiarism. And it then took over the newsways and that became the headline. But when you go back and look at what actually was being talked about, it was a, it, when she was a graduate student and she had her paper submitted and it was accepted by the university. It also was accepted by Harvard. And people are thinking that she just outright copied things and plagiarized, but it actually was more of an issue to do with citation. And then it did with her just stealing somebody else's work. So I think that it was very racially motivated because there are so many other professors, presidents of universities who have done horrible things, who have actually plagiarized and have been shown no consequences. I just find it interesting that when we have Claudine Gay, who was the first Black president, and they basically forced her out. Um, and I just feel like it was very one-sided and clearly an agenda was being pushed. Supporters of Gay saw this whole affair as a publicly motivated attack in which hard and fast rules of plagiarism were applied bluntly without transparent and a thorough investigation. So I bring that up because there is another story about a administrator from Lincoln University in Missouri who committed suicide. And the, her reasoning behind it is incredibly sad and heartbreaking. And so there have been more discussions now about how is it for Black Seventy-two Hours of Hell, My Time in a VA is a short story about my time in the Veterans Affairs Hospital on a voluntary 72-hour hole. I was falling down in a rabbit hole and I could no longer see the light or a way out. I reached out to my VA therapist to discuss my crippling depression and anxiety. This journey through involuntary hold was marked by humiliation, broken promises, and a profound sense of vulnerability. My path towards seeking help was extremely challenging. Despite the setbacks faced, I hope my journey will lead other veterans and anyone else facing mental health issues to the care and the support that they might desperately need. 72 Hours of Hell, My Time in a VA is available on Amazon in paperback and on Amazon Kindle. This has sparked a broader question of how women are treated in academia. The president, John Mosley, 
his conduct his conduct towards bonnie in emails that she sent to him were absolutely horrific so she was sent a letter of termination on january 3rd and it was outlining mosley's serious concerns with her work and her performance including failing to follow his and other administrators administrators instructions so another letter that he sent to her said that she was to go on administrative leave until her firing went into effect in february a notice also said that she must vacate her apartment on campus by that time Otherwise, campus police would promptly remove you and your possessions from the apartment. So Bailey sent an email to President Mosley on the day she died, and she specified who from the administration should be collecting her belongings and speaking to her family. She told him, you are not to have any contact. You've caused enough harm and mental damage. She detailed a negative evaluation that she received in November and said in the email that their relationship had gone downhill after she submitted documentation under the Family Medical Leave Act and the Medical American Disabilities Act. So she said due to her severe depression and anxiety, she needed to take some time. But her requests were ignored. She asked for an improvement action plan from the president. He never responded to her emails. When she would ask for a face-to-face sit-down, he would dance around a topic and no meeting would actually ever happen. She said, you intentionally harassed and bullied me and got satisfaction from sitting back to determine how you would ensure I failed as an employee and a proud alumna. So there have been recent studies out detailing the treatment of Black women in academia and the treatment of Black women in the corporate workforce because we are often treated unfairly. And when it's time for reviews to come up, and you're getting evaluated, we are more likely to have negative reviews. We're more likely to be fired. We're more likely to be told that we do not fit into the culture. But what these studies have showed was that when you are a black woman and you are working on an all white team and you're being evaluated by all white peers, that they will evaluate you way harder than anybody else and you will receive lower markings and that has happened to me before it's happened to so many black women that i know and i had somebody ask me and they were like well do you really think that like everybody is just racist and like out to get black women and the answer is no but there are a lot of biases that people have that they honestly don't realize that they have. And there's a lot of cultural differences between white Americans and black Americans. There's obviously a ton of overlap and 
it will depend on where you live, but there are things that culturally we see differently and we do differently. And so a lot of those things are seen as negative because the people that you are evaluating don't understand those things or view those things in a positive light. You know, I had a a friend who was working at a counseling center and she was she ended up being fired after receiving a horrible evaluation and horrible treatment the whole time that she was there. And they had finally hired another Black employee. And she was so happy and excited because she felt like she had somebody who understood her and could talk to her. So for lunch, um, if people did not go out for lunch, people would kind of eat together and eat and talk to each other in each other's offices and things. And that was no problem. But when her and the new black colleague did it, it was a problem. And they were told that they were not allowed to eat lunch together because it was seen as being a clique and they weren't talking to anybody else. But yet that same standard was not applied to any of the other employees in the office. And so that is just one example of the things that... um they are documenting and showing. Another thing is, and this is something that happened to me, when you are the only Black employee working somewhere and there are Black clients. So for me in the mental health field and counseling and things, and you have Black clients, those clients will flock to you because you are similar to them. You know, our brain makes connections and when something is similar to us or we can see ourselves in someone else, it makes us feel more comfortable, whether we should or not. So same thing if you're in a male-dominated field and you are a woman there, whatever other female colleagues will probably flock to you because they feel a sense of community with you. And I had been told that, well, why do all the Black clients come to you? My friend was also told the same thing. There was also some clients who asked to switch counselors to be with a Black counselor. And instead of putting the needs of the client, needs of the students first, they put their own needs and had hurt feelings. And well, why don't, why do they want to leave me? Why do they want to go with you? What do you have that I don't have? And then jealousy ensures. So there's so many, so many different aspects and and so many different things that we could touch on with that. Um, Another issue is also there's almost this expectation that you will be performative, like dance monkey dance. There's this expectation that you are going to be singing all the time, that you're going to be loud and you're going to be ghetto, you know, and you're all this and that, blah, 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 blah. As a black woman, there's this expectation that you're very outgoing and extroverted. But when you are not, when you are quiet, when you are an introvert, when you keep to yourself, those things are taken as, oh, you're stuck up. You don't like us. She doesn't want to hang out with us. You know, this, this, and this, they're all taken negatively. And then those things are put on your review. Oh, she's standoffish. She doesn't talk to anybody. It's never a question of maybe this person is just quiet 
and maybe they don't want to talk to everybody. You don't have to be your coworker's friend, you know, and there's this expectation that you're supposed to be loud and lively and all this. And when you're not, it's like, oh, well, what's wrong with you? You know, why aren't you like that? And so your personality is then almost put on trial because you aren't doing what they feel like you need to be doing. And those things are mostly stereotypes. And it's just really not a good environment. So for all of my listeners out there, you know, if you work in an office setting and you do have colleagues who are people of color or black colleagues, you know, maybe think about how they feel in in your workplace and how they're treated and how they are what their expectations are and are they different than other people. Um I knew someone who was a like ER nurse and she had a colleague who was um a minority. She was Indian, darker skin. And we were talking about race and different things and getting treated different. And she kind of stopped and and thought and she said, you know, you're right, because my colleague, like whenever she puts in a request for time off or do anything, it's never granted for her ever. And it's always denied. And, you know, and I said, well, yeah, that that's it. That's a bias. That's racism. That's what that is. And that's what happened to a lot of women of color and black women in workplaces like that. And so when she would have to be assertive and stand up for herself and say, Hey, like I have the days, I have the time I need to take this weekend off for X, Y, and Z. Now you're being combative. You know, now you have an attitude. Now you don't want to work as a team, but you're seeing your other colleagues be able to take off whenever they want. And also she mentioned that, nobody would ever switch shifts with her. So the person I knew, and she said that her colleagues, they would, instead of having to take a day off, would a lot of times switch shifts with other people. And she said, nobody ever switched shifts with her. And, you know, and I was like, that's sad. And I asked her, I said, have you stood up for her? Have you said anything? You know, have you had her back? Have you protected her? You know, and that's what I want you guys to think about is are when you see something happening, when you're observing it, are you saying anything? Because a lot of times when black women, especially when we stand up for ourselves, we're seen as mean and as loud and as a bitch all the time. And I experienced that at my last office job so many, so many times. And no matter what I said, it was always taken so negatively when it was things that were either a policy that had been in place for a hundred years before I even got there, you know, or things that I had said to other employees and had the same standard. I also would have people just go right over my head because they felt, you know, for whatever reason, I didn't know what I was talking about. And that is one of the things that Dr. Mosley had hinted at was, you know, the way that you're interacting with people or you're not following what we're telling you to do in the way that we're telling you to do it. 
I also had people flat out lie on me, flat out point blank, just lie. And it was devastating and so shocking. And those are things that are so common for black women and women of color who are in the workplace. So that's just to give you something to think about. Um, The lastly I want to hit on is January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Um, On January 11th, that was Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And I'm so happy that human trafficking has now been on the forefront and it's something that we talk about in the open a lot more. But in those discussions, I really just want us to be careful to not overhype types of trafficking that aren't really prevalent. And what I mean by that is the trafficking where, you know, you're at Target and somebody comes in a van and snatches you up. Those things do happen in other countries, but it doesn't necessarily happen a lot here. You know, when we see the videos of, oh, if this is on your handle, somebody's trying to come traffic you, maybe some of those things are true. But everyday people who are going about their lives, most of us have people who would miss us, have people who would look for us, have people who would fight for us. We have a footprint. And so if somebody comes and picks you up from Target and and carries you off, people are going to go out hard and be looking for you. But someone who is already living on the fringes of society, someone that has been groomed, someone that's isolated from their family, those people are the ones that are more at risk to being trafficked because nobody's looking for them or they're already isolated from their family. So no one even really knows that they're missing. Trafficking can also happen in your neighborhood. The person doesn't need to be taken away to some far off country. There's women who are victims and being trafficked by their boyfriends, by their partners who are forcing them to have sex and do things for other people. In the U.S., we have a lot of labor trafficking where we have a lot of Asians coming over to work in nail salons and they're told that they're going to get a job and they're going to make a certain amount of money. And once they get here, all their identification is taken, their passport's taken. They're told they owe $10,000 now and they also have to pay for room and board and everything they're making is going back into paying for their room and board and also paying for them to get here. And they were lied to. And often those people can be kind of rented out to other people. There's maids that come in from other countries or nannies who are promised these jobs and it can turn into sex trafficking or it can turn into more labor trafficking to where now these people are kind of being given to people's friends and and doing this or doing that and they're not being paid and they're not being confiscated there's a story about a woman from ethiopia who came over to be a nanny and they beat her and locked her in a closet and basically starved her you know and so those are the types of things that are happening right now and those things are so prevalent and we need to focus on those our foster care system is an absolute disaster and those poor babies 
are at such high risk of being trafficked because they're already on the fringes of society. They Nobody's already paying attention to them. Once they age out the system, a lot of them don't have a driver's license, don't have an ID card, don't have their birth certificate, don't have their social security card, don't have anything. And it's like 30,000 kids a year that age out of the system just disappear. Nobody knows what happens to them. There's no more footprint of that person. A lot of those kids are being trafficked and a lot of those kids are being sold. And we need to do things like fixing our foster care system, fixing our juvenile system, you know, to really help combat sex trafficking and to really help victims of sex trafficking. When we start to get into all of the crazy Pizzagate-ness of things, we're missing the real issues. And we're now dealing with issues that aren't real instead of really trying to protect the kids and deal with real issues. So make sure that you guys are spreading awareness about human trafficking and, you know, making sure that you're educating yourself and educating your kids around you. Because with social media, that's another way that a lot of people are becoming victims of trafficking because they're getting blackmailed for sending nudes or making a sex tape or sending videos. And it all happens online. And then the parents don't know about it. And now these kids are being in a situation and they're being told that, well, if you don't do this, we're going to kill your family. You know, so these kids are going out every day, going to school and then doing whatever they're supposed to be doing. And then they're coming home at night. Those kids are still being trafficked. And we need to pay attention to that and make sure that we have recesses of resources available for all of the things that I just named and not just fear everybody into thinking that they're going to be taken at a gas station in a van. So thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Politics But Make It Fashion. Come chat with me. And you can find us on Facebook at Politics But Make It Fashion. We're on Instagram at Politics But Make It Fashion 1. We are on TikTok at Politics But Make It Fashion. And make sure you give the podcast a like and subscribe wherever you listen. And we will chat soon.